Uh, welcome again to another uh, another Sunday at OVV. Um, uh, yeah, let's just let's just take a moment and pray before we dig into the uh, the word here. Lord, I just ask that your presence would uh, would fill this place. That as we share some stories and uh, connect with one another and uh, and and work through uh, hearing what you have to say to us, God, I ask that. Uh, this wouldn't be in any way purely a cognitive exercise. There would be something that as we encounter your word, it would uh, transform us. We trust that as we encounter um, what you've said and the stories of what you've done, that, uh, that those words have power. And we invite them to have power in our lives, God. Uh, we, we love that image of, of the potter, that you love us at every stage of our journey and you're passionately committed to that project, Lord. So wherever we're at, called forward ever into new life, uh, would we just feel a sense of your affirmation, a sense of your love, a sense of your commitment to us. That the word would never come across as judgment to us, but it would come across as love. And I pray that you would help that be true in my heart, God. Uh, Help us, Lord. We love you. We love your spirit. We love your presence. Amen. Amen. Cool. So really good, uh, really good to be here. Um, I was away last week, as most of you know, um, visiting two of our vineyard churches up in Thunder Bay. Uh, it was a really, it's, you know, it's always wonderful to just take part in the life of different uh, parts of our community in the vineyard or, or any other church that uh, we might be attending. But our churches in Thunder Bay are particularly uh, special in, in that they've just, been, they've just been kind of isolated for a long time. Uh, they've been a part of our church, a part of our community, but they haven't been together with us. One of the pastors of one of the churches up there, uh, his daughter has a severe disability and she's not able to travel, uh, so they're not just not able to come to our conferences and things. And uh, um, and for the other church, you know, they have a farm, they've got like nine horses and cows and pigs and chickens, and they live way out in the bush in Thunder Bay. And and work full-time jobs, and it's just hard for them to get to our things. So, you know, sort of over the last several years, we've been leading Vineyard Ontario, been, like, inviting them to come. We've you know, offered to help and, and with them getting there, and it's just not been possible for them to be with, with us, and we just realized we've just got to start making regular trips up there to connect. And, uh, and, and that's, part, you know, the reason I'm sharing some of this is uh, because it was really good to be together with them, and it was really powerful them to, for them to feel like they were together with us. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today out of our, some of the vision stuff we've been talking about lately. But I just want to bring you into their lives a little bit. This is one of uh, the churches. Uh, those of you who know Thunder Bay, it's sort of broken into two communities. Originally, it was two communities called Port Arthur and uh, Fort Th- oh, William. Fort William. Port Arthur and Fort William. And, it, and when I was preaching... In these churches, I mean, I I spoke, interacted with them sort of like seven sessions over two and a half days. It was really, really busy. Um, But uh, I I don't know how many times I mixed that up. I'd be like Port William and Fort Arthur and, oh man, it was was terrible. Uh, But uh, but this is one of those churches. This one is in Fort William, that side of Thunder Bay. Uh, Beautiful little church in an old uh, Ukrainian um, labor hall, like an old... uh, sort of a uh, club for one of the, the subcultures in Thunder Bay. Uh, these guys do an incredible pancake breakfast every 
uh, Sunday morning before church. That's sort of their call to worship. Uh, they're right embedded in like a really, really rough neighborhood. Uh, half their congregation are people who are, uh, you know, sort of hope they're hoping to get them out of the, the sex trade or hoping to get them off of drugs. Like there's a lot of addiction. Uh, I mean, when I first was, was dropped off at the church, the first person I saw other than the pastor who drove me there was a prostitute, like right, right beside the church, you know. So it's, not, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rough community and they're just embedded in that space and they're just loving and loving and pouring themselves out. Yeah, in an incredible way. Uh, it's a small church. A big Sunday for them would be about 40 people. And a bizarre thing happened when I was there. They had four new families come out right out of the blue that came. And it was just really, really cool uh, to worship with them. Like just wonderful, wonderful hearts. And I could see in that community just the life and love of Jesus. That this was something that was a, a called out group called out to serve, called out to love, called out to care, and caring in a really beautiful way in their neighborhood. And there's another church just to introduce to you. This one is called Lighthouse of Hope, and they have two organizations. Uh, Lighthouse of Hope is the church, and Operation Hope, which, which is an outreach. And so Saturday morning, I did the morning outreach with them. And, uh, and again, like more than half the people there were, you know, addicts or, or people who are in the sex trade, just really, really uh, broken people, but they're there embedded in really tough communities, just loving in a really, really, uh, really, really real way. And just a ton of, uh, of Aboriginal Canadians as part of the mix. And so just a beautiful integration uh, between white and Aboriginal Canadians in that space and uh, clear love flowing uh, between them. It's just a, a, beautiful, uh, a beautiful spot. And so as we wrestle with that, uh, you know, f for our church, I love what those churches are doing. I love who they are. I love what God is doing. And of course, you take from that when you visit other churches, and you say, what, you know, wh who are we? What are, what are we supposed to be? What's our place in the community? Uh, we've been working recently through some of our vision uh, documents, sort of some of our uh, processing, you know, what we really exist for. You'll remember that we had uh, this phrase up uh, before, and this is sort of what we're camping out on as kind of a, a way to articulate the vision that we have as a church. We want to encounter Jesus together. And that sense of togetherness is important. The sense of encounter is important. We've been talking about that. We're expecting what he's done and what he's doing to change us, right? So we're coming with the expectation of transformation. And we're expecting that to propel us to facilitate uh, that encounter for others, right? So very simple. Uh, you can even break it down a little further. We want to encounter Jesus. We want to be transformed. We want to share it with others. That's the church, right? That's the, our church, but it's really a, a broader purpose for the whole church. We want to have an authentic encounter with Jesus where we have the opportunity to meet him face to face. And we'd be fools to think that we could meet him face to face and not be changed. So we come with that expectation of transformation. We're not coming to receive a service. We're not coming to, uh, to take in a product. We're not coming as consumers. We're coming as people who are there to be changed. There's a real difference there, right? You're not, uh, when you go to a store, like you go into Walmart, uh, you're going to get that product that you need for your life. But does anybody go into Walmart expecting that it's going to be a life-changing experience? <laughs> No, right? So that's the difference between a consumer and, and somebody who's coming to encounter in a way that's transformative, right? So we're not coming to church to receive a product, to hear a sermon, uh, to get our dose of uh, worship singing or whatever it is that we need. We're coming into this space expecting that God's going to transform us.
And of course, if he changes us, being who he is with eyes out towards the other, we're anticipating that that uh, change is going to cause us to see others in a new way and to, to care for them. So let's just take a second and just read this together. You can read it out loud with me. Uh, this is, you know, sort of freshly articulated vision for our church. And I want to begin to get this into our hearts. We want to encounter Jesus together, expecting what he has done and what he is doing to change us and propel us to facilitate that encounter for others. Okay, that's, that's what we're about. And so today we're going to just unpack what it means to, uh, to be together. Why is together a word that we put in there? Why is that sense of togetherness important uh, for us as a people? Why is this idea that uh, we, we, we're not just Christians individually, we're not just Christians in our homes, our relationship with Jesus isn't just our personal relationship with Jesus, there's something to it where uh, the way we interact with others and the way we gather together matters. We unpacked this a little bit in this series introduction uh, when we looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we're going to look at that again a little bit later in this message. Um, it says, and we all who with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord, and that's sort of the rest of the verse. But that word with in the Greek is that we all together with. That we all together so often when we think of being transformed by the Lord, by being beholding the glory of the Lord, we're imagining our devotional time or just our time in our rooms, our time uh, when we're quiet before the Lord, which are you know, hugely important times for us. But the whole context of 2 Corinthians for Paul is all about how the church relates to uh, one another. So how do we all together with unveiled faces, and again, we love that image as being a community, we take the masks off when we're in community, right? We stop hiding who we are. We let people see who we really are. We let the Lord encounter who we really are. The veil is taken off, and as that veil is taken off, all of our defenses are lowered. Then, then in that, we, it's more possible to be transformed, right? It's not possible to be transformed if we aren't actually beholding the glory and beauty of, of God. So there's a humbling ourselves, an unveiling of ourselves that's important to us in community. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. It says this again, uh, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. What is the correct size for a church to be? I've heard people say, I like small churches. I really prefer small churches. I hear people say, oh, I love a big church where there's a full suite of programs available. What is the correct size of a church? Well, there's a clear range that's given you in Scripture from two to infinity. That's the correct size of a church, right? From two to every human being on the planet. That's the, that's the size of the church that, that is a correct in the Lord's eyes, right? So where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And that phrase, in my name, is really talking about under my banner, under my purpose, within the name, that word name actually has a, sort of a brand association with it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's connected with a sense of ownership and a sense of leadership and a sense of enterprise. Um, and then Matthew 16, we unpack this, and I tell you that you are Peter, and this is why we're going to focus on this word ecclesia. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church. So what is this thing that Jesus is talking about that is, uh, is so powerful and so strong that the very 
uh, powers of hell cannot overcome it. It's something that seems like it is a safe place. It's something that seems like it ought to be a protected place. It's something that seems like it ought to be uh, a bastion of freedom. And what word is used in the Greek for that? It's this word ecclesia, which means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes to a public place. So that word ecclesia is a gathering together, and it kind of looks like this. I, th I thought a little graphic to represent it would make sense. Because when we think of church, we think of uh, a building that you're inside. You think of a place that you're inside. And we, we obviously want to break down that notion that the church is an institution or that the church is, is a building, right? But it, it's a gathering of people who have been called out from their homes, called out from the individual late nature of their lives, called out from the safety of the place in which they live, called out from the place where, uh, you know, they eat their dinner and sleep at night, uh, where they're maybe comfortable. How many of you are, like, relatively comfortable in your homes? Like, isn't it nice to, to be in your home? You, you like it? How many of you woke up this morning in bed and thought, oh, it feels so great? Oh, I, I don't want to get up and go up this morning. Come on, how many felt that? Right? Like, it's for real. Like, that's what it's like. We like our homes. We invest an enormous amount of money at Ikea to make our homes feel like a comfortable place. Right? We, we, we like that sense of being nurtured, that sense of being together. Right? We, uh, with our family, with just the ones we like. Isn't, isn't it nice about your home? You can like only invite in there the people that you want. Your house has a door. It's fantastic. People don't just wander in and out all the time. You get to choose who comes in. They can knock, and if it's like the guy who's doing a survey, you can just open it up a little crack and say, sorry, we're not busy right now. Or how many of you, when the survey guy comes, you like hide behind your couch and hope they don't see you through the window? <laughs> Right? Our homes are these sort of protected places, these awesome places where we, we're safe. But, but the church is a place where we're called out of that individualism. We're called out of that, uh, that, that sense of, this is just my space, this is just my family. And the way that word is used in the New Testament, it, it occurs 144 times in the New Testament, always often translated in the English into the word church. Uh, but uh, that word um, is used elsewhere in, in, in culture, it's used elsewhere in, in uh, sort of secular language at the time, to refer to when a governor would come into the community and would say, uh, come here, I have something for you all to hear. Uh, there's a new law being delivered. There's a new edict. There's a new uh, thing that the emperor wants you to know. Come out into the center of town. Come out of your homes and gather together to hear this thing together. And it's that gathering to hear something, that being called out of your home to something, that is the church. Um, and so the question that we're really asking, though, this morning is, what, what happens when we're in that space? What is that encounter like? We've been called out of our homes. You guys dragged yourself out of bed kicking and screaming this morning and you came here, which is great. We're really glad you did that and we, we want to worship together and, and spend time together. But what's, what's supposed to happen in this space? 
what's supposed to happen in this time together? And I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. You'll notice that the sermon graphic at the beginning, uh, it's, it's fused together a home and, uh, and a church when I built that graphic, right? Because we're talking about our home churches. We're talking about when we meet in coffee shops. We're talking about when we meet here on Sunday morning. Uh, we're talking about all of the places where we come together with the intention of connecting with Jesus. Uh, what is supposed to happen in that place? Encouragement, right? Encouragement is supposed to happen in that place. Um, and, and just maybe just a side note, that this, this is also something that the church is about. Right? We're called in and we're sent out. Uh, I just want to remind ourselves that as we're talking about this sort of called in together, that we're also talking about something that has a mission. We're out in our schools. We're uh, in the call to the nation of Canada and the province of Ontario and to our northern communities, to Europe, to coffee shops, to Russia, to Africa, to South America, to Asia. Uh, to schools, to wherever we go, where the church is called out. We'll talk about that uh, more in the, in the weeks to come. But what are we supposed to be doing in that space? What's that? Equipping. Equipping each other, right? Being equipped, right? And that's the kind of stuff we're going to unpack. But what I want, really want us to gather uh, is the heart. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, when I, when I was first writing this sermon, I was focusing on a lot of those things. Like the purpose of the church is for equipping. Uh, it's for training people to go out and, and reach the lost. It's for, uh, you know, so many of those, those different really practical things. But I think the most important thing about being together is uh, how do we have a heart that makes it possible for us as a community to be together? Like, how do we do this in a way that we're not just individuals sitting in rows? How do we do community and life in a way where uh, we're not here on Sunday mornings consuming a product, uh, where we're not here just receiving something as individuals, but we're here in a way that we're bonded together and in a way that uh, each one's life impacts the other? And so that's really, when we talk about the togetherness of the church, that's really the heart that I want us to get to. And the best place that, that I could see as I dug into the scriptures, I mean, I had a brilliant sermon there that was all lined up, all based on all of these great locations of the word ecclesia in, in the scriptures, and we'll do that one sometime. But to get the heart, we go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let's just pray again before we engage the word. Uh, Father, uh, as, again, as we encounter this word, we expect it to transform us. We expect these words that you breathed through the apostles to be words that are breathed with life into us. Engage us here in this moment, we pray. Amen. So let's read Philippians 2, chapter, Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 8. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
uh, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, who being in very nature God did not consider God, oh, that's a repetition of the same slide, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, coming obedient, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love, does anybody, like we, we don't like guilt trips. Anybody like guilt trips? Guilt trips are super fun. Does anybody think like Paul is like tricking us here? Doesn't Paul do that all the time? He builds a case this way. And I, and I have to always read Paul and not read it as a guilt trip. But listen to how he says this. He says, if you have any encouragement, this is how I, how I would say these things. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ or any comfort in his love or any sharing of the spirit at all in your bodies, if any tenderness or compassion, then do what I told you. Right? That's sort of kind of how you can read Paul. But what he's doing is he's building this case if you have encouragement from being united with Christ. Uh, what I unpacked was just that word have. I mean, it's bizarre to just look at, look at a simple word like that that we see in English and use again and again and again. But if you have, um, I, I mean, the, the word is, is, uh, is sort of based in the guts. It's if you have ingested and digested any encouragement from Christ? Have you digested any encouragement from Jesus? Have you let that encouragement go deep into you? If the encouragement of what I have done on the cross for you has gone deep into you, from being united with me, and this word united is just amazing, like being made one with, being made one with Jesus. How many of you feel right now that most of your lives, like 90% of the time, you feel like you're completely one with Jesus? <laughs> uh, I'm giving myself a five out of a hundred on that one. <laughs> Feeling like I'm really one with Jesus, right? But there's something about this relationship that's meant to be a unity between us and him. So we've been united with him. We've been made with him. That's a whole piece that I don't think the church understands. There's probably a whole sermon series right there on that unity with Christ. But if we have been united with Christ, if we've received comfort from his love through the pains of the world, if we have any common sharing in the spirit, so he's talking again about something that is a flowing, it's a sharing, that there's something about the spirit where we dip into the pot and we take of the spirit and Jesus has poured into the pot. It's something that we're shared. Our hands are both in it. If we have any sharing of the Spirit, and if we have the tenderness and compassion that's come from that, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So what's the connection between unity with Jesus and a like-mindedness with one another? Is like-mindedness with other humans something that's celebrated in our culture? <laughs> Not a bit, right? What, what, what is celebrated in our culture? Individuality, right? Right? Our uniqueness is celebrated, and that's beautiful. That's, that's good. Like, we're learning as a culture to accept one another, so that's good. Uh, what if like-mindedness were something that were imposed by the church? Would that be a good thing? 
No. That's what we're trying to get away from, right? So what does he mean where if I am united with Christ, if I am made one with him, if I dip into the same pot that the Spirit is in and receive of the Spirit, the same Spirit that rested on Jesus' shoulder when he was baptized, if I have access to all of that, then somehow out of that, and this is a request, not a state of being, he's saying, choose to be, make my joy complete by being like-minded. How do you choose to be like-minded with that person next to you? Take a look at that person next to you. Right, they're a little bit different from you, right? And we celebrate different gifts and we celebrate different personality types. But how do we get to be like-minded? What is this sort of like-mind that we're looking for? What is Paul calling us to? Well, he goes on and he explains it. Having the same love, being in one spirit. And again, he, he surfaces this idea of being of one mind. Now, we'll, we'll see what that looks like when we see how he got to it. He says this, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. So this first piece of like-mindedness is laying down self-mindedness, right? There's a, there's a laying down of self-mindedness. There's this sense of unveiling that we talked about in 2 Corinthians, right? Where we take that veil off of ourselves and put it behind our heads. Uh, we do nothing out of selfish ambition. We do nothing out of uh, vain conceit. Uh, that's not uh, easy. I, I think I could be a conceited guy. I think I could be self-focused. Has anybody else wrestled with that at all? Ever? A little, a little cultural narcissism even that we could, we could speak to, that where we see most often our own stuff before we see the needs of others. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. That seems really countercultural. That seems actually very much uh, not at all like uh, what we see in an evolutionary process. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like not like survival of the fittest at all. Maybe survival of the weakest, right? Where we see the needs of others above themselves, we value them more highly than ourselves. Value others greater than you. And then in your relationships with another, have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is how he explains how it happens. Uh, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So do you remember before in the, in the, in the first part of the passage where we talked about having um, oneness with Christ? Right? We talked about oneness with Christ. Well, Christ is talking here about his oneness with God. Right? His unity with the Father. His very nature as, as God. Now, this is a really bizarre thing to see. That God, 
Jesus Christ did not consider that relationship of equality that he had with the Father as something to be used for his own advantage. Like how crazy is that? That God saw the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this incredible community and unity, this incredible relationship that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have together, three in one, of the same essence. Not to be something used to his own advantage. To whose advantage did Jesus use his oneness with the Father? <laughs> to ours, right? To ours. It says, rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Now, what if our way of finding the mind of another person, of being of one mind, was to let ourselves be impacted with another human being with the Jesus in that other person being made into their likeness? What if I could see what Jesus was doing in you and who Jesus was in you and the transformation that he has wrought in you and see the power of Jesus in your life as evidence through your testimonies, as evidence through your stories of transformation, as evidenced by the healing that he's done in your heart. And I was okay with saying, I want that too. What you have of Jesus is better than what I've learned so far, so I want what you have of your relationship with Jesus. I want to grow by knowing each other. So there's a coming together of community, and we saw that when we talked about worship a couple of weeks ago, where as we worship God, as we place our eyes on him, we're actually instructing and growing and teaching ourselves. As we worship Jesus, hearing someone else worships Jesus, our mouths are open flowing out, and into our ears is flowing uh, the praises of the other, and the praises of the other are the thing that transforms us. There's that kind of openness that happens in community. So we take the nature of servants of one another and we serve what Jesus is doing in one another and by serving in that way, by serving Christ in another, we become more like Christ. We become more like him. But it requires a bending of the knee, a lowering of ourselves and allowing another to be valued more highly than us to see that beautiful thing that Jesus has done in the heart of another person and to say that that is something I need to happen in me. I need that life of Jesus in me too. Can I serve that in you? Can I pour myself out for you? Then he says this, he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death on a cross. And again, we see this incredible picture of God who is completely, completely united with the Father. Seeing himself as having a position of obedience in that relationship. It's amazing that Jesus saw himself like that.
So there's a call to humility. If we're going to have that heart of togetherness, if we're going to have what it means to be a community of Jesus followers together, uh, there's a teachability. There's a looking for the life of Jesus. There's a looking to find Jesus in each other's eyes that is so important to hearing from him. It's not just a go away, climb up the mountain, have a good time with Jesus in your devotional, and maybe bring that to the community. We have to find Jesus in community. We have to find Jesus in one another's eyes. That's how it's intended to work. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Right, so get the connection between being able to unveil yourself and the freedom of the Lord, right? Where the Spirit is, there's a freedom to take the masks off. Because where the Spirit is, judgment ceases. Where the Spirit of God is, shame ceases. Where the Spirit of God is, our, our need to protect ourselves ceases. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom to take off our masks. Uh, we contemplate the Lord's glory, and that word contemplate is, is, uh, is, is a really deep engagement. And then we're transformed by his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that's where that image of the potter comes from, that he loves us in that moment from the lump of clay all the way to the finished product. All the way to the finished product. His investment in it is, is huge, and his investment in us is huge. But what's waiting for us as we see him in community, as we open ourselves up to what he's doing in others, as we let one another teach ourselves. And, and that only happens in coffee shops. That only happens in our coffee time. That comes in biblical engagement. That comes in home churches. That comes when we get time together and are able to go deep face-to-face and heart-to-heart. Uh, when that happens, we're transformed with ever-increasing glory with ever-increasing glory. How many of you wouldn't mind a little bit of that ever-increasing glory? Right, there's a process where, where God builds his work in our hearts and builds on it and builds on it and builds on it and builds on it and there's just not an end to it. It's the same as how many people belong in the church from one to, from two to infinity. Right? There's this sense that, that his glory increases. And the end of the story for us, of course, is the resurrection when he comes with a new heaven and a new earth. And we have uh, transformed, resurrected bodies. And I'm pretty sure my resurrected body is going to be a little thinner. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to run a little faster. Right? I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have such a, a longing in my heart for donuts. Or maybe I'll have all the longing in my heart for donuts and the metabolism to go with it. <laughs> that banqueting table <laughs> sounds like not a bad thing. Right, but here we are in the middle of it in this process and it's not done yet, but it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. But if you want to be part of that process, it, we have to be together. And that is a very, very practical decision for most of us most of the time. 
it's call a friend and have a coffee and don't just talk about the surface stuff. Talk about the real stuff. It's get into home churches and worship together and hear stories told and engage with them and pray. It's laying hands on one another when we're sick. It's laying hands on one another when somebody needs direction or a release of a prophetic word. It's all about the ministry of the body. And there's lots of equipping for us to do around that, but that heart has to be a coming to serve and a coming to encounter Jesus in the other. Do you know that Jesus is in Dane? You can encounter a little Jesus in Dane. And you can encounter, well, maybe more in Sylvia. <laughs> I don't know, maybe not, I don't know. But you can encounter Jesus in Linda. And you can encounter Jesus in Rob and in Marie and Harold. You can encounter Jesus these people. This isn't just a coffee with another human being. This is an encounter with Jesus in that person. And so we approach people with that sense of value that Jesus is in that person. And that's why we approach humans with love and respect. And if we will do that, if we will get into that space and we will get deep with people, the transformation will come. Let's stand up. Lord, we are called to encounter you and to be transformed. And we uh, accept the realization that that means that we just have to be together. We have to come into relationships with openness. We have to come into relationships with honesty at a new level. We have to come into relationships to serve your work in the other. And as we serve, as we listen, as we, as we value others uh, greater than ourselves, we trust that you'll change us. That we won't be just consumers, but we'll be new people transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. So we just welcome that process. We welcome the humans in our lives that we're uncomfortable with. We welcome the believers in our lives who make us cringe a little. And we look for Jesus in them. Help us to see you in the eyes of the other. Help us to be those who gather. Help us to value that together we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.